You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of 2 Samuel. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. 2 Samuel 19, and we are in the midst of that point in David's uh, life and ministry and kingship where he is um, now coming back to Jerusalem after having been ran out of the kingdom by his own son Absalom. And now Absalom is dead, and he was killed at the hands of Joab. And we left off in chapter 18 with David mourning for Absalom and crying out, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, if I had only died in your place. And, and some of the mourning and, and, and the grief that David feels is very natural. But what we're going to see is this really turns into something that is poor leadership. On the part of David. And that's really what I want to talk about tonight is leadership. And without strong leadership, every kingdom collapses. That would be the kingdom of God and his entire universe without strong leadership, which is provided by the Trinity, by God the Father and God the Son, who willingly submits to the leadership of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit who is constantly pointing others to Jesus, who is the mediator between God and man. And so there's strong leadership in God's kingdom. And then God has given leadership in the church and in the family, and of course government as well, but we are more concerned with the church and the family uh, here. And God's given that leadership over to, to men specifically the husbands in in the family, and then to elders in the church. And without strong leadership in the family, and that's you husbands, then your families will collapse. They'll fail. Uh, It will end in ruin. Your children will not respect you. They will not love your God. They will not honor your wife and their mother. Uh, They will not be the the men and women that God's called them to be um, in a lot of different ways because of your lack of leadership. And we see that in in our society today. Uh, We see uh, men who should be men but are boys uh, because they've never been modeled. They've never seen true male leadership in their life. They're looking for um, that in all kinds of different ways, and they're uh, trying to find value uh, for themselves in, in many different things because they've never uh, seen male leadership, and, and now they're incapable of displaying that, and it uh, has repercussions that we see uh, all over the place. Uh, and, and of course, that would translate into the church as well. And when there isn't solid male leadership in the church, those elders that God has called to lead the church, then the church will collapse. The the local church without strong men is an absolute joke. Without strong men in the local church, it's an absolute laughing stock. We are wasting our time. We'll have no impact on our community. And we... Uh, see that uh, time and again, churches failing uh, because there's no strong leadership. And, and it's a disgrace uh, to Jesus. It is dishonoring to the gospel. 
and it is counterproductive to our mission. And when we, you do have strong leadership uh, and you have a commitment to the gospel, you see churches flourish. And, and I believe we're seeing that in our church as uh, we have some amazing uh, people in general, but, but starting with leadership that God has placed. Because without a head, an entity is dead, right? A, an organization, an organism, a kingdom is dead. With anything with two heads is a monster. And so uh, there, there's strong leadership and the, the men that God has raised up in this church as elders, uh, great men, and God is working through them. And I'm confident as I leave here and I hand this church over to Rory and just getting to know him, I'm just excited for what God's going to do and I'm excited for the men that God has raised up in this church. And some of you, God has called and has given potential uh, to, to step up into roles of being an elder. Uh, some of you men, and you need to step up. Uh, some of you ladies, God has called you uh, to step up and to use your gifts and to, to lead in different capacities in the church. And without strong leadership, every kingdom collapses. And Jesus asks the question, can the blind lead the blind? And of course, the answer is absolutely not. As, as much as we have compassion for the blind and want to help them, you're not going to ask them, uh, how to get somewhere or to lead you somewhere. That's just not something they can do. Can the blind lead the blind? Obviously, no. And we need strong leadership with good vision. In our government, certainly. But in our homes, absolutely. And in our churches, definitely. We need strong leaders with vision that know how to communicate vision that know how to take people uh, from point A to point B, that know how to take people and get them excited and get them on mission for the gospel. If we don't have that, then we'll go nowhere. The blind will be leading the blind. And David continues to learn this lesson about leadership uh, in, in really a lot of hard ways. He's learning difficult lessons about leadership and David does demonstrate some amazing qualities of, of a leader, but David demonstrates some really terrible characteristics. David was a horrible father. David failed in many ways as a king. And tonight we're going to see David failing, but we're also going to see David making some, some very um, good decisions. We're going to see David really demonstrating some good characteristics of a leader as well. And hopefully, uh, it will encourage you. And I'm going to speak to men a lot, uh, but ladies, this is hopefully going to be encouraging uh, to you as well. And the first thing we see in the first eight verses is David failed to control his emotions. And he, he fails to get over this issue with his son Absalom. As it concludes there in chapter 18, O Absalom, my son, my son, it picks up in 19, and Joab was told, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom, which under normal circumstances you would expect and you would admire and you would say this is good. He, he lost a son. 
But David didn't just lose any son. David lost a son who had absolutely despised him, had dishonored him, had taken his concubines and slept with them in the sight of the entire nation in David's own home. All of which to tell David basically to get lost. He, he is in a sense gave David the middle finger. That, that was what he did to his own father. He just said, I despise you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And I'm taking your kingdom. I'm taking your people. I'm stabbing you in the back. But of course the love for a son, the love that a father has for his child is never ending. But as a leader, you have to realize that people went out and fought for you and died for you and gave and sacrificed for you because they wanted you to be in the rightful place as king. And David hasn't figured that out. And so he's weeping. And the victory that day was turned into mourning. So the people are stoked. I mean, they had won a great victory. They're celebrating And the people heard that day that the king is grieved for his son. So it just sort of let the air out of the balloon. You know, it's a wet blanket on the party. It's like, oh, I guess, you know, it's not that exciting. And the people stole back, the new King James says, if uh, other translations might say that they sort of crept in stealthily, kind of like a thief. They didn't want to be noticed by David um, as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. And so they're just not even really sure how to act. I mean, on one hand, they're excited, but on the other hand, they're now ashamed because David is mourning. And the king covered his face and cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So he's continuing to mourn. And Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. And so Joab, for all of his weaknesses, gets it right here. He just totally nails David between the eyes and he, he shoots straight with, with David, which is exactly what David needed to hear. And is another great attribute of, of a solid leader is somebody that knows how to say what needs to be said. There's no beating around the bush. There's no uh, apologizing for it. It's just saying what needs to be said. And, you know, one of the things that, that we've tried to foster in this church is just candidness and being frank and just saying what needs to be said and, and not being afraid to say, look, you need to repent or you need to get over yourself or whatever it is that may be difficult to hear. And sometimes in counseling, uh, people come in and they are expecting me to kind of pander to whatever uh, whim that they're on. They're expecting me just to agree. And that's not how we work. Because we want people to hear the word of God. We want people to be confronted with their need for Jesus. 
And so we're not going to try to uh, win friends and influence people. That is not our job as, as leaders and pastors. It's not your job as people on mission. And strong leaders know what to say. They have wisdom from God. They know how to say it, and we don't always do that well. I don't always do that well. And, and often I, I have to repent because I didn't say it the way it should have been said. But the, the fact remains is that we need to hear from God and we need to, to deliver His message. And Joab does that. And last week we talked a lot about how Joab really was not being respectful to David. He was not obeying David because David gave clear commands do not harm my son. And while on one hand, I still believe that Joab should have obeyed his commander and his king, on the other hand, David was wrong. He shouldn't have given that order. That order was one of emotion. It was one of allegiance to his son, but not caring for the kingdom. And and he shouldn't have given that order, but he did give it, and so Joab should have obeyed it. But the fact remains is that David was wrong, and now that the deed is done, he needs to get over it, because this is what was good for the kingdom. And now what he's basically telling everybody is, I care more about the my son who was going to ruin all of you and destroy our kingdom, I care more about him than I do about you, and I also... I'm not even appreciative of what you've done for me, how you went out and fought. And so Joab just nails him and says what needs to be said. And maybe God is calling you to say something that needs to be said. And you need to say it with love and with grace, but with truth and with frankness and candidness. And do not apologize for it. Do not beat around the bush. Say what needs to be said and then pray that their heart will receive it well. And so Joab continues, and now he begins to challenge David to go out and speak comfort to the servants, to those that fought for him. For he says, I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night, and it will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now, which is a huge statement to make. Because David's been through a lot. I mean, you remember Saul and now Absalom and all that David's been through. This is huge to say, look, if you don't deal with this now, it's going to be worse for you than anything you've ever experienced. And, and you know what? Men, there are things happening in your families and in your life that if you don't deal with it, it'll be worse for you than, than the repercussions you're thinking will come by dealing with it. If you don't take care of that situation that needs to be taken care of, if you don't man up and take care of your responsibilities, it will be worse for you than than any repercussion, than, than what your wife is threatening you with, or what your children may think of you, or what might happen at work. It will be worse for you. Obey Jesus, number one. Don't worry about what your kids think of you, know this, dads, your job is not to be your kid's friend. It's not your job. Now, if they are your friend, praise Jesus, but that's probably not going to happen until they're like 25. So just concede that and be okay with the fact that right now what they need is a dad. 
and they need a man. They, they, need, a, they need someone who is going to tell them difficult things because nobody else is. Nobody cares about them. Nobody wants to ruffle feathers. Nobody wants to step on toes. Nobody wants to say hard things. And so you have to. And the same is true with your, with your wives. There may be difficult things that you need to say. And maybe in order to say what you need to say, you need to repent yourself. And you need to love your wife so that she'll receive what needs to be said. Because right now you know, yeah, I could say that, but she doesn't respect me because I'm not loving her as Christ loved the church. Well, there's your problem. So begin to do what God's called you to do so that you have a platform to then go and do what God's called you to do. Do you see what I'm saying? By your compromise in not loving her and in not leading your family and in not pointing them to Jesus, now you aren't able to do this maybe smaller thing, which is to say what needs to be said to your wife or to your child or to your boss or to whoever else it is. And for all of Joab's failures, this is a place where he gets it right. He says what needs to be said. He's not really worried about what David's going to do. He says, go out and do the right thing, David, because if you don't, it's going to be worse for you than any evil that's befallen you. And the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. And so David does the right thing. Men, leaders, whatever capacity you're serving the Lord, here is a huge, huge leadership quality. And that is to be humble and teachable. To listen to other people. It is not mutually exclusive to be a leader and to be humble. They go together. And without it, you won't effectively lead. Without humility. Without the ability to admit you're wrong. And admitting you're wrong isn't just saying, I'm sorry. It's saying, I was wrong in this situation when I did this. I was wrong. And then no excuses, no reasons, no disclaimer, no, well, my mom didn't hold me long enough. I wasn't breastfed. I didn't have cable TV, you know. I didn't get to play sporting sports when I was a kid. Whatever. Ridiculous. Just say, I was wrong in this. And keep everything else to yourself. Do not add in all of the reasons why you are incapable of making the right decisions or doing the right thing. Because that's all that people hear. When we say, I was wrong... And here's why. All they hear is the excuses. Forget the excuses. Forget trying to make people think better of you and and feel sorry for you. And here's the reasons why I do all the things that I do. Get over yourself. It's time time to grow up. It's time to quit making excuses. It's time to own your own sin. If we don't, then we'll continue to make the same mistakes. David failed to control his emotions. Emotions are part of who we are. It's a part of how God created us. 
But there's a point where you got to quit crying and you got to act. There's a point where you have to quit feeling sorry for yourself and you just have to, by the strength of the Lord, continue on. There's a point where you've got to put aside your emotions for the good of your family and for the good of those that you're influencing for the gospel. And and some of you, I mean, just honestly, I don't even really want to ask you how you're doing because you're never doing well. Ever. You're never doing well. And it's like... I don't even really want to ask you, how are you doing? Because I already know the answer. And I mean, in some... I'm, I'm going to hold that thought. But <laughs> there's, there's times where you just have to put aside your own issues and be able to minister to somebody else. That's what leaders do. That's what strong leaders do. And, and you'll notice that... The, the men that God has called to be elders, they're, they're not bringing all of their problems into the church. They're here to minister to you. Does that mean they never have problems? Does that mean I don't ever have problems? There's many times where I don't really want to come here. I don't really want to talk to anybody. I've got my own issues. I've got my own things going on. But I, I have to put that aside so that I can minister to somebody else. What if all of the time I was just down and I'm depressed and I'm discouraged and I can't ever think about anybody else? Then I would be completely ineffective. Now, please don't misunderstand me. We all have issues and we all have things that are going on. But you guys, we have to be able to put some of that aside so that we can minister to other people. The Psalms talk about moving through the valley of Baca. And and Baca meant bitterness. Moving through that. Some of you live there. You you have pitched your tent in Baca. It's where you live. It's where you dwell. And it seems that you like it there. And I don't think God has called us to that. He's called us to move through it. David said, I passed through the valley of the shadow of death. I didn't live there. I didn't build a house there. I passed through it. We're not to be pretend. We're not to act as if we don't have issues. Because we do. We have problems. We need to ask for prayer. And we need to be honest and say, Man, I'm going through it. Can you pray for me? But when that defines you, when that is all that you ever talk about is your issues, your problems, then it becomes a selfishness whereby you are incapable of thinking about anybody else. And David failed to control his emotions. He failed to put it aside and say, you know what? I've got to lead these people. My son needed to die. He was opposed to God. It was God's will. It needed to happen. I need to move on from that. And some of you, you need to move on from things. Please, I'm not being insensitive. I'm not saying there's a certain amount of time, but you need to move on. You need to get control of your emotions. You need to get control of the things that have happened to you. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Know that life is difficult, but that God is in control. And if you believe in a sovereign God, then you believe in a God who is in control and that everything that happens to you is for a purpose and for a reason, and it was allowed by Him. 
And if you're going to continue on in this self-pity, then what you are saying to God is, you don't know what you're doing. You made a mistake. I don't believe in your sovereignty. And it's a slap in God's face. We have to move on. David failed in that area. But he does demonstrate humility and teachability, which is huge. A second thing that we learn about leadership, verses 9 to 15, is that David didn't force himself upon the people. Remember, most of the nation turned against David. And if you've ever been in any leadership kind of position, when you don't feel like people are behind you, there's a real tendency to go around and put out all the fires. To make sure you've got everybody's allegiance. To make sure that everybody's behind you. You're on the phone. You're emailing. You're you're putting others down to elevate yourself. So that you make sure that everybody's behind you. And what it does, and believe me, I've done it. Done it way more than I should. And I've learned the hard way in a lot of these things. But what it does is it makes you look like a weakling. and And you lose respect. And so, in your homes, dads, when you go around and you, and you, you try to, to get your kids to, to think the world of you, you know they're mad and you're apologizing for that which you shouldn't be apologizing for, and you're running around trying to put out all the fires, then it, what it does is it causes them to lose respect for you even more. Make your decision, know you're right, know that you, you've obeyed God. If you haven't, then you need to repent. But when you've done the right thing, then be secure in that. And don't try to force yourself upon people or get people behind you and get everybody to think the world of you. That's not your job as a leader. Let God take care of it. When you need to repent, repent. But then let God take care of the rest. Resist the urge to make that phone call to make sure that so-and-so is behind you. Resist it. It's difficult. But resist that urge to put that person down to ensure that they think you are amazing. Don't do it. And David doesn't do that. It says, All the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the words of all Israel have come to the king to his very house? You are my brethren, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also, if you are not commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word to the king, return you and all your servants. Then the king returned and came to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shammai, the son of Gera, a Benjamite who was from Baharim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, 
and Ziba the servant of the house of Saul and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. And so even though the king kingdom was rightfully David's to lead and govern, what we don't see him doing is forcing himself upon the people. He, he essentially just said, whatever the Lord is going to do. And then as we began to read, the third thing that we see is David showing mercy to Shammai. In verses 16 to 23, we see Shammai coming to David. And you remember uh, a couple chapters back, Shammai cursed David. And basically turned his back against David. When Absalom uh, turned on David, so did Shammai. And he actually threw stones at David and cursed him and just completely rebelled against David. And he was wrong for doing that. And in reality, he should have been killed for that. He should have been killed for treason. It was a capital offense. And Shammai from Baharim hurried and came to meet David with a thousand men of Benjamin with him. And he had 15 sons and 20 servants. And they went over before the king. And then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now Shammai the son of Gareth fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. And so he admitted his sin. He said, I've sinned. I didn't make a mistake. I wasn't misinformed. I wasn't uh, blackmailed into this. He wasn't making excuses. He said, I sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord, the king. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shammai be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. And you can read about that in chapter 16, uh, if you weren't here. And you can read about what Shammai did. And Abishai saying, look, this is a capital offense. He should be killed for this. And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries to me today. Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do not do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shammai, You shall not die, and the king swore to him. And so David showed mercy. And and Jesus talked about showing mercy in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. As leaders, you guys, when we show mercy to people, it comes back to us. And our God is a merciful God. Jesus has shown mercy to us. Now, what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting something on top of that that you don't deserve. And so mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And I always love to illustrate it with being pulled over by a police officer for speeding. And if you're pulled over and you're doing 75 and a 55 and you get pulled over and you're not wearing your seatbelt and the cop comes up and he says, look, 
uh, you were doing 75 and you weren't wearing your seatbelt, even though you've now put it on. I know you weren't wearing it before, right? So here's the deal. I'm going to go back. I need your license, your registration. So he goes back and he's there for like 20 minutes and you're thinking, man, I am going to prison. What is he taking so long for? He's writing all kinds of stuff. You're sure you're going to get a ticket. He comes up, hands you your license, your registration back, your proof of insurance. And he says, look, you deserve a ticket. You deserve a big ticket. $100 for not wearing your seatbelt, another 150 for going 20 over the speed limit. But I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm going to give you a warning. That's mercy. Not getting what you do deserve. He turns around. He starts to walk off. And he says, oh, by the way, here's $250 that you should have actually been charged and paid to the state of Oregon. But I'm going to give that to you. That's grace. And see, that's what Jesus has done. Jesus didn't give us what we do deserve which is hell and judgment and the wrath of God. And then he graciously, he gave us what we certainly didn't deserve, which is heaven, eternal life, entrance into his kingdom, restoration back to his created goodness. All of that he lavishly and graciously gave us. So that's the difference. Here David shows mercy to Shammai. He doesn't give him what he deserves. And why does David do this? Because David was secure in his calling and in his gifting and in his place in the kingdom. He wasn't trying to assert his authority, right? Because this would have been the time to do it. You're going to, to die, my friend. You turn your back on me, I'll show you. I'm going to show everybody that I'm boss. And sometimes as leaders, that, that, there's a tendency to do that, to, to prove our authority, to assert ourselves. And men, you don't need to do that in your homes. If you are leading your families to Jesus, and you are the men God has called you to be, then you won't need to assert your authority by yelling and screaming. You will not need to assert your authority by getting violent, by throwing things. You will not need to assert your authority by constantly reminding your wife that you are the boss, that she needs to submit to you. And dare I say, if you're saying that, then you're already in trouble. If you have to say it, then you don't have it. And you need to figure out why. And that's a you problem, not a her problem. That's a you problem. Because leadership is given away. You have it. It's given to you by God. So if you don't have it, that means you gave it away by doing nothing or by doing something that made her lose respect for you. It's a you problem. You need to figure out what you're doing wrong. If you're having to constantly assert yourself, and the same is true in the church, if you're leading a ministry and you're constantly having to remind people of your position, don't you know I'm in charge here? Don't you know that Ryan has given me the responsibility to do this? Look, if you're having to do that, then you are not doing your job as a leader because that should obviously be established. People will respect you if you're doing a good job. People follow good leadership. And if you're having to always turn around and say, come on, follow me. Aren't I worthy of it? Let's go. I'm the boss. If you're having to do that, then you're not a good leader. People just follow good leadership. People want to follow good leaders. They want to. God created us that way. 
If you're not a leader, which everybody isn't, so don't feel badly if you're not a natural leader. Now, men in your homes, you're called to be. So figure it out. But that doesn't mean you're going to be in, in your workplace or in your city or in your church. And if God hasn't called you to be a leader, don't feel bad about that. But know that you need to be one that is following a leader and being respectful of leaders. Hebrews 13 verse 17 talks about obeying those who lead you because they are going to give an account to God. It's not an easy position to be in, to be in spiritual leadership. It's not always fun. It's not easy. It's not always enjoyable. And it's difficult often. And it's extremely difficult if you're dealing with people who should be mature enough to be following you and submitting to your leadership and you're having to constantly deal with their insubordination. Philippians 2.29 talks about esteeming those men, such as Epaphroditus, that Paul was speaking of in that text. A man who was a leader, a man who had displayed and demonstrated leadership qualities. And Paul said, esteem such men. And in the low church, which is what we have here, probably the low of the low, right? In the, I mean, there's the high church, you know, stained glass windows and and incense, and robes, and the whole nine yards. There's the high church. Then you've got the low church. Then you've got us, which is like really low. Pastors wearing flip-flops. It's low as you get, right? And I don't mean that in terms of quality. I just mean it in terms of a way to sort of characterize the church. We're, We're what you would call the low church. We don't put a lot of emphasis on titles. And I don't ask people to call me Pastor Ryan. It's kind of weird. Uh, I don't mind it, but I don't demand it. But what can happen, you guys, and and I say this in respect uh, to Rory and to the other leaders in our church who are coming in behind me, what can happen is there can be a a blatant disrespect in arguing and not being submissive and constantly having to give your opinion and and constantly having to fight against things and say yes but really mean no and then not do it the way you were asked to do it, which you would be better off to just say, I can't do it and be honest. Or to, to pretend and to feign submission in honor and respect, but then to backbite and gossip and undermine the leadership while they're not listening and, and watching and going around like Absalom and trying to get little factions after you. Don't you think that was a really bad decision? Can you believe what he said? Can you believe what they're doing? I don't think we should be doing that. If I were in charge and all of these things and you're getting people to follow you, and you're slowly and subtly undermining the leadership in the church. And it's sinful, and it's destructive, and it's opposed to God. And you need to repent if you're doing that. And so David doesn't need to assert himself because he's secure in who he is. He's secure in his leadership. And as leaders, you guys, be secure 
in who you are and who God's called you to be and what he's called you to do. A fourth thing that we see is David shows understanding to Mephibosheth. You remember Mephibosheth. He was that son of Jonathan who, when they were fleeing during the uprising of, uh, of David against Saul, and finally David was taking his rightful place on the throne, and it was natural for the, the household of Saul to be like, we're out of here because we're going to get killed. I mean, David's coming in. Our kingdom is being destroyed, and anybody associated with Saul is going to be killed. And so the nurse picks up little Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son, and Jonathan's dead, along with his dad. And they don't know the allegiance that David had to Jonathan. Certainly they didn't realize the respect that David had for Saul and that he could have killed him many times over. But this nurse picks up little Mephibosheth. The poor little guy falls Busts his feet all up. They're jacked up. He can't walk anymore. So David brings him into his household. He provides for him. He feeds him. He loves him. He says, you're going to eat at my table. Well, a couple chapters back, Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, lied to David and said, Mephibosheth turned his back on you, David, and he's now following Absalom. And so David said, well, then everything that I gave to Mephibosheth is yours. So now Mephibosheth comes to David. The son of Saul, the Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. And so he's like been just in a state of shock, and he, you know, he didn't bathe, he didn't care for his feet. I don't know what that means, and no... No pedicure, I guess. I don't know what that means. He didn't, he didn't trim his mustache. So, you know, have you ever seen that guy with the longest mustache in the world? The world's long, it's like six feet long. So that's Mephibosheth. He, not only is he lame and he can't walk, now he stinks and he's dirty and his toenails are like six inches long. Hasn't washed his clothes and he's got the ultimate mustache. So... That's the sight. And it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And so Ziba basically had fooled Mephibosheth and David to to protect himself. And he answered, my lord, O king, uh, excuse me, verse 27, and he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king, but the, my lord, the king, is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. And Mephibosheth, he knew how loving and compassionate David was. David had done nothing but blessed him his entire life. And so he's just basically falling on his goodness, which is exactly what we should do with our king, Jesus. Because he's compassionate and he's loving and he always has our best in mind. Even when we turn our back on him, even when we sin against him, we can go to Jesus and we can say, you decide. You do what's best because I know you have my best interests in mind. You're a compassionate, loving, merciful God. We need not fear him. For all my father's house were but dead men before my Lord the King. 
he, he's reminding David, look, you should have killed us all. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. And we talked about that, how, how David brought Mephibosheth in. He, he could have just sent him home with a food box, you know, and said, here, here's some powdered eggs, some instant potatoes, some canned goods. Yeah, don't ever come here again, okay? Here's a gift certificate. Be warm, be filled. See ya. But he said, no, come and sit at my table. Eat with me. And if his hygiene was anything like we see here, I mean, that was a sacrifice, you know. Come and sit at my table, man. And the king said to him, why do you speak any more of the matter? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather let him take it all. Inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. And so Mephibosheth is not interested in what David can give him. He's not trying to get money or land or have some kind of favor with David. That has never been his intent. He's just humble and, and he just says, whatever you think is best... Give it all to him. Even though he deceived both of us, even though he stabbed me in the back, even though he made me look bad to my king and to my, my friend, to the one who had done so much to me, you know how much that would anger you? If someone who you loved and cherished, who had helped you in so many ways, and then somebody had made you look as though you had turned against that person, you would be fired up. But Mephibosheth had forgiven. He said, just give it all to Ziba. I don't care. I don't want that. It's not what I want. I don't want your stuff. I, I just want to make sure that you're okay. That, that our relationship is, is restored. Take it all. I just want peace. And David shows understanding to Mephibosheth. He, he also doesn't go back on his word to Ziba. And, and that's, that's honorable uh, for David, who it would have been very easy for him to say, look, you took advantage of me, you lied to me, now I'm going to take it back, but he doesn't do that. And he shows understanding, and he's able to extend mercy to Mephibosheth. How easy would it have been for him just not even to have a meeting with him? Just say, I don't even ever want to see you again. And to assume that Ziba was right. And maybe you're in that place where you are holding things against people that you aren't even 100% sure are accurate, but you've heard things, and now you're holding it against them, and you're not even giving them the opportunity to make it right with you because you're so angry, because you're so bitter, but you're not even sure it's true and it's right. And it's not a good place to be. Good leadership shows understanding and is willing to talk through things. And is willing to compromise. A fifth thing that we see is that David demonstrates appreciation to a man by the name of Barzillai. Verse 31. It says, And Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogalim and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very rich man. And so when David had fled from Absalom, remember he stayed in Mahanaim, which was like this real secret kind of cavern-like 
place. And this Barzillai had taken care of him. He's a wealthy guy. He helped David out. And the king said to Barzillai, Come across with me and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. Come and live out the rest of your days with me. I want to take care of you. I want to show you the king's life. But Barzillai said to the king, How long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and the bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? And so basically he says, look, I can't even tell good food from McDonald's. I'm 80. It doesn't matter to me anymore. I, I can't tell good music from dogs howling. It's just, you know, it's pointless. All of your delicacies and all of the amazing attributes and amenities that come from living in the palace, they're really not going to be valued by me because I'm old and I'm ready to die. So what's the point? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king, and why should the king repay me with such a reward? I'll, I'll go with you for a little while, David, but all this stuff is just lost on me. Please let your servant turn back again that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord, the king, and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan and when the king had crossed over, the king blessed Barzillai and blessed him, kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own place. And many scholars believe that Chimham was the son of Barzillai, and that seems to be indicated later in 1 Kings when David uh, tells Solomon to bless the sons of Chimham. And it seems that there was a connection there with him and, and his sons and and Barzillai, and so it's very possible that he was giving him his son. He was saying, do what you are going to do for me, uh, for him. And David demonstrates appreciation here. He, he doesn't say, hey, I deserved what you gave me. It was coming to me. Of course you would do that. I'm the king, and, and you should do that. And you guys, as leaders, there there is absolutely... Nothing wrong with you saying, thank you, I appreciate you, you're doing a good job. Sometimes in the church and as Christians, we think if we compliment people, that we're somehow fostering pride. That is the biggest joke. I, I've been a part of churches where the pastor refused to appreciate people because then it might make them prideful. And it's ridiculous because... We see the Bible over and over again showing appreciation and, and, and that we ought to do that and that we ought to be thankful. And, and how much should we be thankful to the people in our lives that are a blessing to us, that as leaders are enabling us to be good leaders and we ought to tell people that they're doing a good job and that we appreciate them and honor them and affirm them in their gifts and what they're doing well so that when you need to challenge them, you have uh, really a, a platform to do that. 
There's nothing wrong. It doesn't foster pride. It isn't your job to make sure that people stay humble by treating them like poop. That's not your job. You know, I'm going to treat you like just a pile of dog do so that you'll remain humble. That is not Jesus. The Holy Spirit will produce humility in people's lives. The Holy Spirit will do that. Now, should you go around and just puff people up and constantly tell them how wonderful they are? No, we shouldn't do that either. There's a balance, but being appreciative is a good leadership quality. It's something we need to do. And if you notice pride and you notice that people are doing it for the pat on the back and so that they are being affirmed, then you need to deal with that. And you need to come alongside and say, hey, you know, it seems that you're, you're doing this for false motivation and, and that you're, you're wanting the applause and the praise of men. And, and that needs to be dealt with. So David demonstrates appreciation, and that is something that we ought to do in all facets of life. But as leaders, as many of you are involved in ministry and have people that are serving alongside of you, say thank you. Tell them that you appreciate them. Let them know that they're doing a good job and that you are thankful for them. The last thing I want to look at is verses 40 to 43. And that is that David fails to address division in the nation. And this really is going to have implications that last for several hundred years. It says, Now the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him, and all the people of Judah escorted the king, and also half the people of Israel. Just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan. So the men of Israel, which would really be the ten northern tribes, they're now jealous. Why are, why are the, the tribes of the southern kingdom, why are they getting to spend so much time with you, David? Why are they the ones that are escorting you across? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel... Because the king is a close relative of ours. So now they're getting defensive. They're like, well, of course. He's our bro. He's our homeboy. He's from our hood. Why wouldn't he be hanging out with us? Why then are you angry over this matter? This is our boy. Have you ever eaten at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king. We're, we're ten tribes. Just going to remind you, we're ten. You're only two. Therefore, we have more right to David than you. This is the kind of pettiness and weirdness that can go on even in the church where people state claim to the pastor or to a ministry or to something that they feel they have ownership over. And I've got more rights to this. I've been at this church for so many years or I've given so much money. It's like, wow. That needs to be crucified. That's got to go. You need to repent of that. Whatever service you've given to the church or however much money you've given to the church does not give you any right to anything. They begin to get real petty. We have more right to David. We're ten tribes. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? It was our idea, you know. 
Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. And reading just a few verses into chapter 20, and there happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri. Great name for that guy, Bichri. Like just sounds like the father of a rebel. And he blew a trumpet and said, We have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem remained loyal to their king. And so the Israelites basically say, We're done with you. If, if you're not going to give us our rightful place and our rightful honor, then, then we're done. It's kind of like a two-year-old, you know, that just throws a fit. Well, if I can't have all of it, then I don't want any of it. And, you know, we think that we outgrow that. And, and yet it exists in the church. It exists amongst Christians. It exists amongst seemingly mature Christians who say, well, if I can't be in control of the whole thing, then I don't want to do anything. I'm not going to give anymore. I'm not going to attend that church. I'm not coming anymore. I'm not going to support it. It's immature. It's wrong. It's not of Jesus. And that's exactly what they do here. Oh, yeah. Well, if we can't have it all, then we're done. And now we're going to be in a complete opposition to you, David. Now we're going to turn our backs on you. And so, you guys, as we talk about leadership... I want to close with us just thinking about Jesus and, and the amazing leader that he is in our lives and that he's the model for us and that we can look to him as fathers and say, Jesus, I want to lead my family like you do. Jesus, I want to lead my wife to you. I want to bring her to you. I want to make her more like you, and in order for that to happen, I need to be more like you. Break me, mold me into your image, Jesus. That's what I need. Look to him in any leadership capacity that you have. If you fail to bring the people that you're leading to Jesus, then you've failed. You've failed in your leadership. That's the mark of a successful leader. Is he, is she in those circumstances, bringing people to Jesus, leading people to Jesus, getting out of the way. Are they becoming dependent upon that person or upon Jesus? You guys, we need more of him. We need to be drawn closer to him. We need to allow him to search our hearts and to cleanse our hearts and to forgive us for those areas of our lives that are opposed to him. We need to allow him to crucify our old man, the flesh, and to then live out his life in our life. That he would flow through us. That when people encounter us, they encounter Jesus. Is that what's happening in your life? Especially as leaders, that needs to be the case. But for all of us, are you exuding Jesus? Let's draw close to him tonight as we just close in worship. Let's draw close to the heart of God. Let's, let's cry out for more of Jesus. We have communion up here. You guys can come and partake of communion and just ask Jesus to fill you, to flood you, to draw you unto himself in a way that you never have been before. 
Ask him to reveal himself to you. And so as the the worship team comes forward, let's just stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And God, I thank you for the men in this church. God, the leaders that you've called. Lord, for the elders in our church. God, I thank you for Rory and, and how you're bringing him here to be the lead pastor, God, I pray that you would anoint him and fill him with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that he could continue to lead this church to you, Jesus. That, Lord, you would give him wisdom and insight. Anoint him to teach your word. God, I pray that this church would be better in my absence than it ever was in my presence. Lord, that this church would continue to make Jesus famous in this community. And it doesn't take me to do that. I don't need to be here to do that, Lord. May this church be better off without me, Lord. May you bless it. Use Rory in a powerful way. God, may the influence of this church continue to to make an impact in this community. May it be a city on a hill. God, I thank you for Kevin. And I just pray as he's on vacation that you'd bless him and his family as they're away. God, I thank you for the work that I've seen you do in his life over the last few years. God, amazing work you're doing in him. Lord, continue to anoint him, to call and to gift him. God, continue to give him the the qualifications and the characteristics and and the gifts that he needs to be a leader in this church. God, I thank you for Frank. Lord, I thank you for the work you're doing in him. I thank you, God, for bringing him here and for establishing him as a leader in this church. God, continue to use him powerfully and mightily, Lord, and the gifts you've given him. Fill him with your spirit. Anoint him, Lord. I thank you for Chad and his ministry with the youth, Lord, and his heart for the church. God, fill him with your spirit. Anoint him, Lord, to to lead the youth and to lead this church as an elder. God, give him those gifts that he needs. Fill him where he lacks. Lord, I thank you for Michael. Lord, I just thank you for just the... The, the strength, Lord, that he has as a, as a husband and father, Lord, five kids. God, just bless him and his leadership at home and, and his leadership here at the church. God, continue to use him to give him just the, the things that he lacks, Lord, and to fill him to overflowing. And Lord, I thank you for all the deacons and the deaconesses in this church, those who are leading in different capacities. God, I am humbled to have been a part of this church and of this work. God, I'm humbled to to have been given the privilege to plant and to found this church. God, and to look and to see all that you're doing and the people that you're raising up. God, continue to do it. Jesus, continue to make an impact on this city as we desire to make you famous. God, flow through this church in a mighty way. Raise up more leaders. God, I pray for the men who are here tonight. 
God, men that you've called to be husbands and fathers, God, I pray they would step up. That, God, they would be the men you've called them to be. They would glorify you. They would continue, God, to seek you with all their hearts. That, God, they would desire more than anything else to be passionate about you. God, as passionate as they are about hunting or fishing or sports or NASCAR or whatever hobby they have, God, may that warrior spirit that you've given to them, God, may it first and foremost be used as a passion for Jesus and the things of your kingdom. God, use the men in this church as strong leaders in their homes and in their workplaces. And God, may people see Jesus in them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his fame. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, you may do so at our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com, or you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Once again, thank you for listening, and God bless.